And I wrote uh, angry commenter who said that there's no election right now. What are you, Paul? Tweeted five times about Elise win in November. <laughs> But, you know, Duncan on the Leafs, you know, it's the low-hanging fruit. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Numbers. I'm Eric Grenier, and I'm joined by Philippe J. Fournier, who is back from Quebec City. Are you still recovering? <laughs> well, good morning, Eric, and good morning, everybody. The answer to that is yes, absolutely. Uh, the convention was a lot of fun, but it was also long days and very short nights. And, uh, you know, I, I, I haven't been out that late since my late 20s, I think, so been also teaching uh, classes this week and uh, there were many polls and so yes I'm still recovering I'm really happy we do audio audio only today uh, because I, I don't I look tired so <laughs> you were uh, you were staying in a hotel with a lot of convention goers right so was it like a noisy hotel at night Uh, no, uh, that was very respectful. I was uh, just across the street, okay. so it, it was one of the hotels where many conventioneers were staying, the Marriott uh, downtown Quebec City, uh, just next to the National Assembly. You know, it was it was very nice. Uh, but uh, at night, uh, many conventioneers went to the the, the 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 bars on Grand Allée and uh, discuss. And I was I was you know I was invited to many of their parties, and so I went and uh, I had discussions. It, it, they were off the record, so obviously I will not reveal what <laughs> what will happen on there. But if there is one theme that I can uh, share with our listeners and with you, Eric is I had multiple conversations, not one or two, but multiple conversations where uh, staff and MPs and partisans were actively talking about what a future Poiliev cabinet would look like. Uh -oh. And um, it, 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 it was very interesting, but also it was kind of funny because when you realize, yeah, the polls will look really good right now for the conservatives, but there's no election for a while. And uh, what's the expression in English? Ne, ne, ne pas tuer la peau de l'ours, or whatever it is. Uh, don't count your chickens before you hatch them. I understand their excitement, but it felt a bit premature. But it, it, that's fine. I mean, the polls were really positive for them during the convention. And obviously, it made the convention a much happier place at the Centre des Congrès de Québec. Uh, so, uh, so, yeah. But it was, it was a lot of fun. And I, I'm happy I went. And I'm probably going to repeat this experience many times in, a few, in future years. The, an expression in English, I guess, would be, uh, I think it's measuring the curtains already... Starting yeah. <laughs> to plan the interior of, you know, future I guess, office. cottage or yeah. whatever it will be. Yeah, the PMO and, and where the chairs will be set up. Yeah, you, you need to win an election first. So um, let's talk a little bit about that convention because you were there. And uh, we have some federal numbers that are out just this morning that we'll talk about them as well. But um, just what was your general, general impression? Because everything I've heard is that people were upbeat. Um, there wasn't a lot of tension. People were pretty excited. Um, yeah. When you were walking around, did you get that kind of view? Uh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. There was no doubt about this. It, it, obviously, the, the polls that were released the very morning the convention started all showed double digits leads for the conservatives. Uh, I think this convention, the mood of the convention for those, uh, I think, uh, 2,500 people that were there, it was it was big. Um, it would have been different had the new polls showed, oh, the liberals are coming back and it's a tie. Uh, so, as I said, many think that uh, Justin Trudeau is beat. 
that Justin Trudeau is done, that this the next election is in the bag. Uh, and I, I obviously, I know that some are more cautiously optimistic than others. Uh, but I, it was very interesting to see the mood. And also, you know, I was there for Poyev's speech, who, you know, obviously the leader mm-hmm. was the headliner. And uh, although the speech was a tad long, <laughs> an That's hour and a half, yeah. it, w- it was very long. Uh, but I understand why. I mean, the, the, this is a great way to have clips for your future um, social media campaigns and, uh, and advertising campaigns. The the, the 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 speech was very good, and he attacked many, uh, I think, important topics that are very important to Canadians, at least according to polls. Uh, it was interesting also that he, he appealed to Quebecers in a very different way than his predecessors. Whereas, you remember this, Eric, Andrew Scheer and Renaud Toul never went to details, but they talked about a special deal for Quebec, right? Mm-hmm. Poyev hasn't done this, but he still addressed the crowd sometimes, both in French and in English, about Quebec specifically. And I think one passage of the speech that really caught my ears and my eyes, I was typing on my computer, and when he said this, I, I r- r- rose my head. It's like, oh, he talked about how Quebecers are proud of their identity, of their language, of their history, of their heritage. And why can't Canadians do the same? And he said this in English. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought it was a, a, a very subtle way to at least appeal to nationalist Quebecers and try to revive some pride in, you know, in Canadiana or something. And I don't think it's been tried that way before. Now, of course, I'm paraphrasing, and it was a bit longer than this, but I think that that really struck my ears when it happened, and I thought it was pretty clever. It, you know, it was a speech taking place on like a Friday evening, so I, I'm guessing that listenership was pretty low in terms of the broader pub, uh, public. I didn't watch the speech itself. I flipped it on for um, a very short period when I was going to watch something else on TV. Uh, so I feel like I probably experienced it a lot like most Canadians. Well, I read things about it afterwards, heard some of the commentary. Um, I did find that his, his, the delivery of the speech wasn't terrific from what I saw. Uh, so I, I was actually a little bit surprised when I read some of the commentary and heard some of the commentary after people were saying it was a very good speech and all that kind of stuff. It, when I watched it, it did not seem that the delivery was still top draw. I, I think he still has a little bit of that kind of work to do that uh, he, when I watched and it was like a random sample of some point during the speech, <laughs> I have no idea what it was, uh, just seemed a bit kind of nervous and his timing wasn't great. So like I, he still has a bit of work to do. So I think it might not be a bad thing for them that the campaign is still a little bit ahead, right? I think there's a difference between when he's in a room with a lot of people yeah. um, that agree with him and, and you know, he's very confident in that. But here, it's almost like he sensed the importance of the speech. Um, and during a campaign, like, I mean, it's always going to be like that, right? Of course, of course. I, I was switching from TV to radio, but during the speech, I was sitting with print journalists uh, taking notes. And uh, I remember several times in the first half, I turned to fellow journalists, like, it seems low energy. Uh, and mm. they were agreed. Uh, but it, it picked up. I mean, I think there was a crescendo. <laughs> they say musicians say that. The, the, the second half was uh, was more energetic. But, uh, uh, you know, one other thing that, that Poiliev mentioned in his speech, he talked, I think, two or three times about the, quote-unquote, very real problem of climate change. Uh, 
uh, it, it did not, it, no, it's not a, a strong part of his speech. It did not put much emphasis on this, but he did talk about this. And I, th- I, I, I thought that was like a message to his own party that, uh, you know, we had trouble in the past using our climate plan uh, as a shield against the liberals, against the NDP, and the, especially the Bloc Québécois. Um, I'm looking forward to see whether they will address this at some point. Because we know from polling that there's a segment of the, uh, the conservative uh, supporters in this country, not a majority, but a segment, that plainly don't, they clearly don't think it's a problem or mm-hmm. it's a minor problem. And some even think it's a hoax. And so I, I think he was addressing those people. Uh, now, I mean, will it drive many votes away or, or from other parties? I don't know. But he did mention this, whereas I don't think uh, his predecessors did very much on this. So, yeah, it, it's. I thought the ending of the speech, of course, was more energetic. And, um, man, this guy has energy because afterward, when, I, when, he done his, when he was done with his speech and he left the, the, the main room, I stepped outside and I saw a huge line. I mean, a huge line, thousands of people waiting in line. I was like, what's going on here? And then I looked and there was, there was a sign, a picture with the leader. Uh, so mm. him and his uh, wife, uh, Anna, uh, were on a stage with security and they were you know, taking pictures, with, uh, shaking hands with everybody that was online. And it, was, it lasted more than two hours. So um, I know yeah. I w- <laughs> would never be able to do this. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I think he charmed, charmed a lot of people in Quebec City. Uh, his numbers are good right now. Um, but... Again, you're peaking when there's no election. So uh, I'm sure we'll yeah, discuss uh, this uh, in a few months in, in hindsight. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about whether they peak too early. I mean, uh, we'll see. I mean, as we saw with the abacus poll that was out this morning, their numbers yes. got a little bit better. Um, but, you know, I think the question is not so much that there's like some natural up and down. I think it's more that once you get into a position where it's almost assumed that you're now going to win – Questions are a little bit more about what that would look like, right? Exactly. Rather than uh, criticisms of the government, it becomes, okay, then what is your government going to look like? And when that happens in maybe the last week of a campaign, that's okay. When it happens two or three weeks out, that can start to cause problems. <laughs> but over two years, you wonder how how long you can, you can sustain this kind of uh, support when you're not putting out as much detailed policy because your platform's only going to probably come out in, you know, the summer of 2025 at the, that's at the right. earliest, right? So I think that's the challenge that they face right now. But um, one last thing on the convention. Were a lot of Quebecers there or was it, oui. was it a lot of non-Quebecers from Western Canada as well. Like, what was the membership profile, the demographics? Well, I uh, obviously I, I can't give you uh, real proportions because I don't have them. But walking around, I saw uh, because we we have to carry our uh, uh, a lanyard on our neck with yeah. our name, right? Uh, there's, and I saw a lot of uh, francophones, um, mm. and many were from the region. So again, I mean, it was not. I mean, a convention, a, con- a conservative convention, let's say in Montreal. Uh, would not have, I mean, it's bigger as a city, but it would not have drawn as many conservative supporters. There are a lot of conservative supporters in Quebec City. And also the Quebec conservative leader was there, Rick Duhem. I saw him pass by, and he obviously is very popular locally. Um, so 
also I did my rounds in the morning. I did morning radio, uh, and uh, I, I mean, it was heavily covered in Quebec City. It was a big mm-hmm. event, and so for those who thought, yeah, is the convention gonna be uh, under the radar because it's in Quebec City? The answer was absolutely not. It was absolutely on the radar. Uh, and uh, we're going to see those clips of the speech for a long time. Um, and, um, uh, you know, I, I, I am looking forward to see. It's too early right now, but in the next few weeks, we will see whether the needle moved at all in Quebec. It, yeah. No, it probably won't move much. But even getting 20%, in most polls right now show the Conservatives, above the 20% mark in Quebec. And you may remember the last time that happened, I was in my late 20s <laughs> that a conservative in a general election got more than 20%. It was the 08 election uh, against uh, uh, against the Fanzion. Uh, mm-hmm. so. But let, I mean, Eric, let's talk about this morning's poll. Uh, so, yeah. a new Abacus poll, 41% support for the conservative, according to Abacus. I believe that's the highest Abacus has measured the conservatives, yeah, for sure. like I don't want to say ever, but since the, the Trudeau government began. It was probably like I, I don't even because uh, Abacus I think started out, um, I think it was their first campaign was probably 2011, and I'm not even like in that one maybe they might have had them at 41. Uh, I was thinking yeah. about it earlier today. Like the Conservatives are in a clearly majority position. Yeah, the last time they were in a majority position was probably more than 10 years ago. Oh yeah, when you think about it in the polls. Oh, oh absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we've seen during the SNC Lavalin story of uh, 2019, we saw some polls. Andrew Scheer was leading clearly. I remember. I remember one poll. Mm-hmm. It was from Leger. It was a 12 point lead. But I followed that election very closely. The the polling average never reached double digits for the Conservatives, uh, yeah. and now it has. So 26 percent for the Liberals. That's really low. And what struck me, yeah. I think, most. Uh, was the regional numbers of this poll because you know we know we've seen the trends i mean western canada is strong for the conservatives we know that but right now six point lead in ontario 39 to 33 for the conservatives uh 11 point lead in atlantic canada 43 percent for the conservatives 32 percent for uh the liberals but bc (laughs) british columbia 52 percent for the conservatives 18 for the liberals 22 for the ndp and so i mean these numbers look like saskatchewan or something uh so something's going on in bc even though the the sample size is always very small with bc but it's been many polls like this Mm -hmm. and well not 52 the 50 has been in the 40s in the 40s oh yeah absolutely but that's a 30 point high and a 30 point i think with this they'd win They'd win like 35, 36, 37 seats yeah. in, in British Columbia. They'd more or less run the table. They'd run the table except for a few downtown Vancouver and uh, Vancouver mm-hmm. Island. And uh, this would be, I mean, th- this would be a majority for sure. And the uh, Bloc Québécois leading in Quebec. Although the Bloc Québécois and 36% uh, with the Abacus, I don't, I mean, I'm not, it's not a slide on Abacus, but I've seen other polling firms, it's it's more of the high 20s and low 30s. But very interesting, the fact that the Conservatives are pulling away uh, everywhere else in the country. And 20% in Quebec for the Conservatives in this poll. So very bad news yeah. for the Liberals right now. Yeah, and that the BC number is, is a lot of it. Um, because a six-point lead in Ontario is isn't as 
isn't as decisive. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if, if the conservatives were down to maybe actually 42% in BC, that probably knocks off, uh, you know, two points. And, and maybe it becomes a bit of a narrower majority than what you'd see here. But um, it is interesting when you look at these kinds of numbers, because they had 60% in Alberta, 63% in the prairies, which is huge, because that includes Manitoba. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the gains that we have seen have come from those areas, right? Because when you think about when the conservatives weren't pulling that well, um, or, you know, we we're in the low 30s or under Aaron O'Toole, often in the polls in Alberta and the prairies, they get somewhere in the in the low 50s, right? And then on election day, they'd end up doing a lot better than that. But it's clear that Poiliev has done a good job of bringing together that base. And with those kinds of numbers, you know, it's a, it's it might only be two or three extra seats in, in, in Alberta. But if their majority kind of window is only, you know, 10 to 15 seats, and that's their wiggle room to get a majority, uh, winning a few extra seats in Alberta, picking up an extra two seats in Winnipeg, you know, the, it, yeah. it adds up. It starts to become important. And Atlantic Canada, there's maybe... 10 or 12 yeah. seats that could flip, that could flip blue. Uh, you know, Quebec right now, at 20%, the Conservatives would maybe win Trois-Rivières, although the bloc also is up, according to Abacus. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. yeah, but this is a majority. I mean, let's remember 2015, the Liberals, they won a majority, but it was a 14-seat majority. It was not a, a, a Moroni majority, right? Uh, mm -hmm. But there are scenarios. Of course, when I run my simulations, it fluctuates to give us an average and a, and a Gaussian curve. Uh, there are scenarios where the Conservatives, with such numbers, would win 200 seats. And it would be a, a huge majority, a very, very comfortable majority. The Liberals would be stuck below the 100-seat mark, uh, back to uh, maybe Stéphane Zion numbers. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Liberals <sighs> are in London right now, and they're apparently... Uh worried about the polls. Uh, the headlines over the last week have just been uh, terrible for the Liberals, <laughs> great for the Conservatives. Every headline I see is about how things are going really great for the Conservatives and, and the polls are doing, and that the Liberals are concerned and nervous and worried and wondering whether Trudeau should go and all these kinds of things. So we'll see if, if anything's going to happen. But um, there are some disagreements in the polls. Uh, and so, you know, if you're a liberal, there's some life rafts you can you can cling to if you're looking. Uh, you know, Nanos has been the one that's uh, mm -hmm. been uh, coming out the most that has been showing a closer number, uh, closer margin. We saw one from Research Code that only had a six point lead for yeah. um, for the conservatives. But uh, the Nanos number did move quite a bit over the last week because I think the previous poll, they more or less had it tied. Now they yeah. have about a five point lead again for the conservatives. But um I mean, Nanos, the Nanos polling is, is good in a directional kind of way, I think. But the way that it's a four-week rolling poll with 250 people a week that get dropped and then added, there's a big margin of error on the 250 that are added That's and right. subtracted every week, right? So it flips around quite a bit. Uh, so if, if you are a liberal hoping that Nanos is correct... You know, uh, it, it, I think that's probably pretty flimsy based on everything else we've seen. And it's again, it's not attacking Nanos because in in general elections, Nanos has been really good. They had, they mm -hmm. are very well rated in my system. But again, it's only one thousand people spread over four weeks. And so, for instance, when you, I, I've seen people online discuss the Atlantic numbers, well, Atlantic Atlantic Canada is six percent of Canada's population. That means it's about sixty. <laughs> uh, cases per month so about 20 people per week 
uh, or mm-hmm. 15 people per 15 week. 15 even. So, yeah. so uh, you, when you see fluctuations in Atlantic Canada in the nanos rolling poll, uh, yeah, it's, it's maybe the 15 people you call <laughs> may all be liberals or conservatives or even some greens. So, um, so don't overreact. Look at Quebec, Ontario, maybe sometimes BC. Otherwise, the samples are way, way too low to, to see um, much direction, especially from week to week. I mean, you and I look at the polls obsessively all the time, so it's normal that we talk about it. But we also know that we, you've seen the long-time curve the long-term yeah. curve of nanos, it fluctuates all the time and it's entirely normal. Um, yeah. It's like when we see a poll that has the NDP at 20% in Quebec all of a sudden. Um, <laughs> we're, not, uh, we're not, you know, it's suddenly not painting, painting the province orange. We're just like, okay, well, next week it won't be 20%. Ja- ja- uh, Quebecers fall in love with Jack Mead Singh. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think yeah. so. So. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, so we'll see what happens going forward. It, it, the, the news coming out today, at least out of the caucus meeting in London, doesn't seem like pitchforks or, or in torches or, or uh, at the, those caucus meetings. So it does sound like it, it was a bit rougher, but it, I, I'm not sure if we'll see um, a revolt. I don't know. I, it feels like it's way too early. And, and, but, you know, some liberals, there's a lot of liberals, maybe as many as half of the caucus has to worry about whether they have the, any future prospects as an elected official. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and if, if the Trudeau era ends in a bad defeat, that would make it even harder for future you know, liberals to, to be, become leader and try to lead the country. They would have to shed this Trudeau era uh, baggage that they would carry around. So I, we know, I, we understand how difficult. I mean, you, you said the, the, the pitchforks are not there, but let's say those numbers carry on and stay, remain stable. Let's say until, I don't know, January. At some point, you figured they would have to make mm-hmm. changes. I mean, they, it's okay to have you know, a bad summer polling and a bad stretch and the, 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 the conservatives had the win in their sales right now. But if it lasts for many months, at some point, you have to make changes. Uh, so uh, we'll see in the coming months. Hey, you want to talk, talk about the, the BC? Yes. Some well, we were just speaking BC. about uh, internal dissent and uh, you know, all of these kinds of things. Uh, so British Columbia, earlier this, was it earlier this week or last week? Anyway, there was, was a Main Street poll that came out. Last yeah. week, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Main Street poll came out, and this one had the BC New Democrats at 35%. They had the Conservatives at 27%, and yep. the BC United, the former BC Liberals, at 22%. Uh, and everybody saw this poll and thought, well, that's kind of strange. <laughs> The Conservatives, you know, they took 2% of the vote last time in the last election. They're not a real big party in British Columbia. They haven't governed since, I think, the 20s, uh, the 1920s. And (laughs) these kinds of numbers, you see them often in British Columbia because there is the BC Conservative brand that a lot of... We're just talking about 52% for the federal Conservatives in British Columbia. How many people responding to this poll think that it's the same kind of party, right? I often see these kinds of things when people yeah. see these numbers, and there was a very, uh, there was a column, I think it was by Rob Shaw, and without nice comments about Main Street research and, and the reliability of the polling. But it's not so much that the poll is wrong. It's not, you know, I, I, I have no doubt that 27% of respondents 
said they were going to vote for the conservatives. Yeah. Or somewhere around that. You know, that that is an accurate number. But what does it actually mean? Right? Because how many of those people understand that the parties are different, that the policies are different, and all this kind of thing? But it does seem that at least one person really believed the numbers. Uh, and that was Bruce Banman, who's the MLA, the BC United MLA for Abbotsford South, who decided he was crossing the floor to the BC Conservatives, joining John Rustad, who is the leader, who is also another former BC Liberal. And with two MLAs, the BC Conservatives, official party in the uh, Legislative Assembly, they get all these resources. So what do, you, what do you think about what's going on in British Columbia? Well, the cross-pollination between federal and provincial is a real phenomenon that we have observed many times. And, uh, you know, in BC, as you said, the last election, uh, the general election in 2020, the BC Conservatives at 1.9% of the vote, of the total vote. Obviously, they did not field a full slate of candidates. But when you look back before the campaign, I've seen many polls, including Leger, 9% for the Conservatives, Insight West, 12%, Innovative Research, 13%. Um, so, uh, you know, it's that way it's the 17% for the conservatives. So we, uh, and Main Street Research, 12%. So I'm just rolling back mm-hmm. those polls. So the cross-pollination is real. Now, is it possible that with the conservative, the federal conservative surge, more, and the fact that the BC Uniteds have completely failed their branding, <laughs> yeah. many people don't know what, what this party is, it's that, that it's the former liberals, uh, but the thing is, it's still 27%. And now I, I reached out. Again, it's, uh, we're not attacking Main Street here. They, they, they have their, those results. Uh, and uh, I like, looked at the polls. The weights look right. It, it looked yeah. like a you know, fairly interesting like poll. Like I said, I'm blaming British Columbians. Or I'm blaming the political <laughs> class for, and the fact that the BC United, again, completely failed their new branding. The, the, mm-hmm. I remember the, the by-elections a few months ago. I, I saw some Vox Pops uh, journalists asking around, so so what do you think of the Uniteds? And say, who? <laughs> the yeah. former Liberals. Oh, that's who they are. Okay. Uh, this is a major problem one year away from the election. I reached out to other pollsters and asked, I mean... I was asked by several readers, why didn't you update your projections, your BC provincial projections after that Main Street poll? And my answer to this is that there's too big of a swing to mm. uh, on a single poll to just update the projections. It's a 601 cases from Main Street Research. I, I trust their numbers, but it's too big of a swing to make an update like this, I need more data. And I reached out to some posters who said before the end of the month, uh, we will have more BC numbers to see if this was just an outlier or a mistaken cross-pollination federal-provincial, or if there is really a conservative surge in, in BC. Now, I will add, Eric, that at the federal conservative convention in Quebec City, I was told this was going to happen that there were going to be some floor crossings in the provincial legislature in BC uh, this week. Although I was told multiple cross, uh, floor crossings. Now, there's only been one. But when I, when I saw the one happen earlier this week, I figured, well, if you, want to have, if you want to have maximum impact, let's say there's three or four that want to cross the floor, you would do it one at a time. Right. Yeah. So you get in the headlines and you have this image of the crumbling BC liberals or BC United. Sorry. 
Um, so I'm looking forward to see in the next few weeks if more will cross the floor because I was I was told that this was going to happen and it did. Uh, it, it will. I mean, objectively, this is good news for the the NDP. Oh, yeah. Because if you split the right of center vote, I mean, it's the opposite of what's going on in Ontario with Doug Ford. Uh, this would give an advantage to the NDP, even though the NDP was only at 35% in mainstream Which polls. itself was a bit of a, a strange number, too, right? Because was, most polls have had them pretty high. But yeah, no, this is, this is terrific for the New Democrats because the BC Conservatives aren't Almost certainly. I mean, we'll see when we have some more numbers, but they're not going to have a lot of appeal in the in the lower mainland, right? They're not going to have a lot of appeal in a lot of the seats where the NDP is already there. Right. So then it's not going to make the NDP worried about losing some of the swing seats in, you know, the greater Vancouver area. Uh, but for the BC Uniteds, it means a lot of their MLAs in the interior are going to be in a lot of trouble. And oh, yeah. if they're focusing on retaining seats that they normally never had to worry about, uh, they're not going to be able to take on the NDP very strongly. Like, there were a few ridings in the, the Peace River, the two uh, ridings in, in northern uh, British Columbia, yep. where the Conservatives had candidates, and they did quite well. They had like 20%, 30% of the vote. Mm-hmm. So you kind of almost assume that those those seats can swing, right? Because there's already that base there, and if we're seeing the kind of movement that, whether it's as big as this, it's probably enough for that. And then if they have a little bit of mojo going behind them, and if they have two seats, they might actually be able to get into the debates and all that kind of thing. You know, you look at Bandman, you look at Rustad, they can maybe get reelected themselves too, right? Mm-hmm. And at that point, you're starting to talk about four or five, maybe six seats. And that's just it. The BC, like Elections in British Columbia are pretty close when they're yep. close. Yep. And if the, if the Uniteds are, are losing a half dozen seats in the interior, well, it's going to be another four years of, of NDP government. So two seats in BC and you become official party status. I believe that you like this rule, right? Only two yeah. seats. Why? That's that's a party. Two, <laughs> two seats. Because one is an independent. Two is, is a group. Two is a group of people. I don't like it how in Ontario it's 12, which seems like way too high. Yeah. And yeah. then in Quebec, it's also 12. But it's, there's it's, also the... It's 12 or 20%, 20% of the vote, which, yeah. which is huge. I mean, 20% is, of the yeah. vote. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, but like, I mean, you can, the other parties can magnanimously decide to award official party status to these yeah. parties. But to me, if you're two, you're a party. Uh, I don't like, there's a lot of rules in, in politics, which is all about, to use uh, pure polyest terms, gatekeeping, you know, how they, <laughs> they, they do a lot of things to make it easier for them to raise money. They do a lot of things to keep their position, you know, safer from upstart parties and independent candidates and, and uh, it's 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 not fair. Uh, I agree. I agree. Two yeah. is a party. I agree with that. Uh, and I just want to say to our listeners, uh, yes, I will update the BC provincial page once we get more data because there's just. I mean, I, I need I need regional data to 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 make yeah. an accurate projection. And that Main Street poll was too small and too big a swing. So, uh, but I, I did uh, I did bump the Conservatives up to I think three seats for me, but. Three seats, okay. Yeah. That, well, I mean, if they have twenty-seven percent, really, they would have between fifteen and oh, twenty. Yeah. But yeah, 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 yeah. but you have to go. You have to go gradual. Again, the the, the yeah. polling average. Trust the average, my friends. Always trust yeah. the average. All right, let's move on to Ontario um, because there's a couple <laughs> things happening there. Twenty-eight yep. percent um, approval rating for Doug Ford in the latest Angus Reid Institute poll, which is the lowest it's ever been. 
Um, but he still leads by 10 points over the NDP. <laughs> so that PC that it, brand, I think that's all, eh? That PC brand in Ontario is completely Teflon. Uh, I, I think we discussed this on a previous podcast, my friend. We, I asked you, since, since the Mike Harris era, I don't think the PCs have ever gotten below 31% in a general election or 32%, right? Um, no, yeah. They always they, retain that kind of level of support under, even under Tim Hudak and all that. Yeah. So, so there are just PC voters that will vote PC no matter what. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, uh, I'm, not, I'm not blaming the same way uh, we have liberals in Quebec. Oh, you could put, uh, you know, paint a, a box red and people will vote for it. It's okay. People vote for a, for a party for a reason. But Doug Ford at 28%. So his image has taken a hit after the Greenbelt scandal. But the PCs have not, basically. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. No, they, I mean, it's it's they wouldn't lose an election if it was held today, um, which is kind of nuts when you have a, a, a premier who's at 28 percent approval. And this is the same poll. That's what's really funny about yeah, it. Right. Exactly. It's not like one pollster is finding 28 percent approval and another is pu- putting a 10 point lead. It's the same. The same respondents are yeah. giving him this lead. So it, it's um, so we'll have to see what happens if the opposition parties can can do anything. Um, so I did want to talk a teeny bit about the Ontario Liberal leadership, yes. which reached its membership deadline. They have uh, at least 80,000 members that are going to be able to vote, which is roughly double of what it was in the last two uh, leadership campaigns. To me, that shows a little bit of energy here. Yeah, I mean, I mean, some of the candidates, they're still widely unknown to the general public, I think, but... Yeah. Uh, but they have managed to create a little buzz around them. Of course, you have some high profiles, uh, Miss Crombie, uh, mayor of Mississauga. You, you have uh, the, the MP from, uh, I forget, Nate. Where is the MP from? Beaches uh, East York. That's right. That's right. In Eastern yeah. Ontario, right? So so you Toronto, have... Toronto. I'm sorry, what? He's, a, he's oh. in Toronto. Oh, sorry. I mixed it up with uh, the one in Kingston. Uh, oh, okay, Ted Shu and Mr. Shu, yeah. Mr. Shu, yeah, yeah. Kingston in the Iron. So no, but no, they have a, an interesting slate of candidates. But uh, eighty thousand people. I mean, I'm guessing that the turnout among those uh, those recruited will be what seventy five percent, maybe three quarters will vote. Um, that's 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 pretty decent numbers for the Ontario Liberals, especially considering their results in the past two elections. Yeah, um, yeah, I, and of course, all of the candidates said they signed up. <laughs> over a hundred thousand members altogether. Um, so I guess <laughs> I, I, it happens every time, and I'm sure it's uh, like maybe some of them are outright lying and saying that they have this many. But I, I wonder how how if they're combining people who signed up on their website and people that they called who said they might vote for them, and then they just kind of add it all together in a, in, to get a number. But like it's not possible that the party membership grew by 40,000 and just Bonnie Crombie and uh, Yasser Nakfi together say yeah. they signed up 69,000. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, uh, maybe the members are lying. Maybe they, uh, they signed up for under multiple candidates or, or they, or they, yeah, this, Oh yeah. Well, Mr. Crombie, thank you. Oh, I have a call. Hang on. Oh, it's Mr. Shu. Oh yeah. Well, I will absolutely support you, Mr. Shu. No problem. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, Nate is on the line. Okay. It, uh, I, it's, we will know who was fudging the numbers eventually. I think the results are in December, right? Yeah, uh, we will know December that. 2nd. But, but I, I think this is interesting for the liberals because, again, there's been a little buzz. 
and something that has been missing on the NDP mm. side because they, they said, decided to have a, a crown. Well, they decided the crowning of Miss Style. Uh, do you think that in hindsight, this was a big mistake for the NDP to not have a race? Like, it does seem that there was um, some pressure maybe for candidates to not get in if, if they didn't really have much of a shot. I don't know if it really, it would have been better maybe for the New Democrats to have a, a, a good race with lots of good candidates. I don't know if it would have been useful to have a race where Merritt Stiles wins with 80% anyway. That's um, true. You know, but it is still really early, right? Even if, even if um, the NDP had had a leadership race, whoever the leader was still would have had three years to go before the next election. And it'll be the same thing here. So I think it was a missed opportunity in the short term, but in the long term, I don't think it'll matter that much. You mentioned, Eric, the Angus Reid poll. They do this, I think, uh, quarterly, the uh, premier approval. Very interesting numbers from the Angus Reid Institute. Um, You said that Doug Ford was at its lowest, at 28% approval. Well, There's another premier that tied <laughs> Mr. Ford, uh, Miss Stephenson, and uh, there's an election three weeks from now in Manitoba. So uh, you wouldn't this, know it from the polls because we haven't had any. We haven't had any except for one Main Street poll last week. But so this will be a very interesting case study, Eric. Uh, can the least popular premier in Canada be reelected? Because yeah. that's what we're looking at right now. It's the, the numbers that we have seen from Main Street Research, uh, the only poll of the campaign thus far, uh, show that it's entirely plausible that uh, the PCs win re-election and that Ms. Stephenson with a 28% approval rating could potentially win. What do we think about that? Yeah, I, I mean, it does show that there is a bit of polarization, I guess, and in, in- People stick with their parties, and that's about it. Because another one who's really low, uh, Blaine Higgs, 30%, probably mm-hmm. would also give him another election if uh, they went to the polls right now. Yeah, um, She was up three points. This is, I think, the highest it's been for her, which is a reflection <laughs> of just how badly it's it's gone. She's gone from 21% to 26% to 28%. Um, we'll see what happens. I, I, I'm not sure we'll, if, if their chances are as good as... as Maybe they could be. We'll see what the numbers are in the next set of polling. But I do think that they do have some regional kind of problems for the PCs with Winnipeg and all this and yeah. how that's going to go. Um, but yeah, uh, it would be nice to have a bit more data out of Manitoba right now. But what's interesting about some of these numbers, you got these three premiers, Blaine Higgs, Doug Ford, Heather Stephenson, all very unpopular. And then all the other ones are pretty much breaking even, about 50% yeah. approval. And, There's a plateau, uh, right? Yeah. Um, I'm looking at Lego 47%. That's that's low for Lego historically, but you know it's you have a 47 approval rating, you win re-election easily, right? Oh yeah. Um, but uh, I, I was surprised a bit by uh, by Smith, uh, 47%. I know the election just occurred, but uh, with what happened, the, the stories 
uh, with uh, the, the wind and the, uh, the, the solar panels uh, that they decided to have a, a moratoire to, to, to yeah. take away to see whether wind, will, 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 wind turbines will hurt birds, right? <laughs> so yeah. I've heard that many times out of Alberta, uh, which was ca- quite interesting considering uh, the, the, the lakes that they have there cover, uh, right. surrounded yes. by cannons that, to make sure the birds don't, don't go in the lakes because it's poisonous. Uh, but yeah, m- Mr. Furry, m- Mr. Ebby, Houston and Moe, all around 50%. And you have these three uh, premiers um, at 30% or, or lower. Um, next quarter, I think, w- the interesting where Ford is. Because, mm-hmm. again, will Ford last the whole four years if he's that low? Uh, he could become an anchor on the Ontario PC. So, hmm. Yeah, and... As we've seen before, that can sometimes have an impact on the federal conservatives as well, right? Uh, yeah. Because in, in 2019, the federal conservatives were blaming Doug Ford a lot for some of their problems <laughs> in Ontario. And uh, and yeah, maybe they'll they'll have to do that again. But we already know that there's not much love lost between the uh, Doug Ford PCs and the federal conservatives lately after the by-election uh, tr- drama. Oh, when blaming. They, they, they. Yes. The, the the federal didn't help the provincial. Yeah, yeah we saw that in Canada. That was that was petty, but yeah. You want to answer some questions from our uh, from our readers yeah. and listeners? Let's do it. So we got one from uh, Jay Bird on the Discord. I've been enjoying the Discord. I actually think it's my favorite social platform right now. It's, it's nice. It's a lot yes. more fun than in the other ones. Bunch of nerds there, and I say that affectionately. Yeah, yeah. We were making like inside jokes about like obscure provincial leaders and stuff. <laughs> I, I love it. If you want to join the Discord, you can become a Patreon at thenumberspod.ca. Okay, so we got this one from Jaybird. Said, could you explain some of the seats you expect to easily flip to one side or the other with redistrict- redistricting based on the numbers and. Uh, I think, Philip, you wanted me to answer this one. Well, the thing is, I followed the redistricting. Of course, I find it very interesting, the whole process. Uh, But I was very busy with other stuff. And so I did not really get into the tiny details as much as you did on your therid.ca website. So why don't you go ahead and answer this one, my friend? Okay, so these are the ones that I have flipping. Now, this is not including the GTA because I haven't done that one just yet. It's my last one that I have to do uh so the ones are mostly flipping to the conservatives the only one that would flip to the liberals i have right now would be uh, desnethe Mississippi, churchill river which is the riding in northern saskatchewan right the 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 new boundaries there took out this whole area largely around meadow lake which is the less indigenous part of northern saskatchewan and that's where pretty much all of the conservative vote was and this is like a huge swing this is the one that's the most obvious swing because the new boundaries more or less took out the entire conservative voting part of the riding. Mm -hmm. And so the remainder of the riding is majority indigenous. The liberals would have won it last time. The NDP would have won it in 2019. So that one is top of the list um, flipping from the conservatives. But another one that would flip uh, would be uh, the Gaspésie, Les Îles de la Madeleine, Listigouge, which is in the, uh, the Gaspé Peninsula, of course, my my beloved Gaspé. <laughs> and that one, because um, the Gaspé is losing the riding, the Avignon, Lamitis, Matan, Matpedia riding on the north uh, coast. Uh, and that is a very strong block riding. That's where um, uh, Pascal Berube is the is the P- PQMNA, and he wins with, what, 60, 70% of the vote 60 there. plus, almost and 70, yeah. 
Yeah, so that's going to be a really tough riding for the Liberals to hold because a lot of really strong block polls are being added to that riding in the Gaspésie. And then apart from that, there's four others that I have that would flip from the Liberals to the Conservatives. So you've got Calgary, Skyview, and Edmonton Centre. Edmonton Centre is more marginal, but those would flip to the Conservatives. Don Valley East in Ontario and Sault Ste. Marie, Algoma in Northern Ontario because mm. they got rid of the Algoma-Manitoulin riding. right. And that was more of an NDP conservative battle. And a lot of the more conservative kind of areas were added to Sault Ste. Marie. So these are the ones that I see flipping based on the redistricting. We saw Christina Michaud, uh, you know, complain and not be happy to lose her writing in the, in the Gaspésie. And of course, I think I've mentioned this before. We understand not being happy when you lose this writing. But the new writing of Gaspésie, Les Ailes, Madeleine, Les Stouges, uh, th that, that means that uh, Madame Le Boutillier, the Liberal uh, cabinet minister, would most likely lose that seat to the Bloc Québécois. I mean, of course, it's, it's, it's not a sure thing yet, but this, this would, the most likely scenario that the Bloc seat would, the, the Bloc would, re, would take the area at the expense of the Liberals. Uh, and in Quebec, there's also that seat that was lost in the Gaspésie. There's a new one in the, the, the Laurentians. Mm -hmm. And the Laurentians are a very strong area for the Bloc Québécois. So the Bloc Québécois had a pr pretty, uh, pretty good deal in that new districting. Yeah, they come out ahead by one. Okay, so um, why don't you uh, read out the second question? Okay, so Cowtown, Town. I was curious, does this recent polling trend in favor of the conservatives and putting them in majority territory make it more or less likely that the election will be called before 2025? Uh, and if the liberals uh, still keep uh, falling in support, how secure is Justin Trudeau's position as liberal leader? Why don't you go ahead first, Eric? Well, we already kind of discussed it. I think if, if they fall any further, like let's say they get to routinely 25, 24%, then mm -hmm. I think Trudeau's going to have... I, I can't see how he could stay on at that point. Um, I think there would be way too much pressure there. Uh, if they can continue, if they can kind of get back up to 30, then maybe he can stick, uh, stick around. But the idea that does this make it more or less likely that the election will be called in 2025... Uh, Trudeau in London, I think it was yesterday, keeps and he, he's done it now for, for months, says that the election is two years away. Yeah. And I think these numbers make it all the more likely that the election is two years away. <laughs> and once one could say that it should be two years away, every four, four years. The, sure. the Liberals and the NDP right now together have a majority of seats in the House. I mean, they wouldn't probably wouldn't win a seat. Uh, they wouldn't win a majority now. But they've won a majority together in 2021. So I, I, I have no problem with that. Um, obviously, at some point you think the NDP could pull the plug. But those BC numbers, <laughs> oh, yeah. half the NDP caucus is from BC. And so those BC numbers show that many B, uh, BC NDP MPs would lose. And so I don't think they would be in a rush to pull the, the plug. Um, and as for Justin Trudeau, uh, I, I agree. Uh, he has some some time, I think. I mean, he, he, some liberals would say he's earned some time to to fix this. But I say by the spring, 
if the numbers still look that awful, uh, there's going to be some high pressure from liberal MPs, liberal supporters to say, you know what, you've been a leader for eight and a half years. You've been prime minister reader, uh, rather, for you know, eight and a half years. I think it's time to go. So uh, then we would have a, a liberal leadership campaign, which I think would be oh, yeah. quite fun to cover. But let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves. Though. Yeah. It's, it's but here, so here's a one a question here, and no, I guess we can base it on what's happened in other cases. If if that happened, would it be better off to have that new leader in place next fall or the spring before the election? You know, do you do you have someone who has a bit of a honeymoon, or do you give someone more time to get comfortable in the job? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the electorally ideal scenario is that new leader smell that yeah. uh, that uh, that bump that you get uh, I, I i do not know the answer to that obviously i think a new leader would like some time to get settled in and again to to shed away uh, that uh, trudeau baggage that uh, stuck with you um, so i think my answer would be probably to have more time before the election but uh, we've seen leader new leaders get bumps in the polls all the time. Yeah, know, but well, like Kim Campbell in '93 when she took over, it was only a few <laughs> months before the uh, election, 1993. Uh, for a while, they were leading in the polls, right? They they got a bump. They were competitive with the Liberals at the beginning of that campaign. It was more or less a tie between the PCs and the Liberals. Hmm. Uh, so in a way, that kind of worked. It did lift the PCs up into competitive status, but of course that fell apart using that precedent must give some uh, chills to liberals <laughs> listening right now so yeah yeah i think so uh, do you do you have a quiz or something this time uh no i i okay. i i, I, I want to ask our listeners whether or not they like the quiz because i really enjoyed it i like this stuff but i know it maybe it's not everybody's cup of tea so i will prepare the quizzes but i would like our listeners to comment on this, send us a message on Patreon, on Discord, or, or anywhere online where we are, uh, yeah. because I would like to repeat this. And it was also fun to see Eric under pressure, I think. Yeah. Um, Eric is really think, good in election history, but I want—I like to see him under pressure. <laughs> I think I did pretty good. You I was off well. on some yeah, of those yeah. by like a point. And <laughs> like, that's not too bad. But at some I, point, I, I will have to be. I will have to get quizzed at some point. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We'll do one for you too. And I do have a game in mind uh, in our episode before the Manitoba election. Oh, but I will tuned. have to study. Have, so, yep, absolutely. Won't be a quiz. It will be more of a prediction kind of thing. Anyway, okay. I've got something in mind. Okay, let's move on to uh, the final segment, our number of the week. Um, do you want to go first? What do you got? You go first, my friend. Okay. My number of the week is 13. 13. This is the number of green candidates in the Manitoba election. I don't want to focus too much on the Green Party in Manitoba, but there's 57 seats in Manitoba. They only have 13 candidates. Last time they had 43. So this is a big drop for that party. But I'm not so much talking about the Green Party, especially in Manitoba, but the recent kind of trend where these smaller parties seem to be unable to get a full slate. The Alberta Party, which ran a full slate in 2019, managed only 19 candidates out of 87 in the Alberta election. In the PI election earlier this year, neither the Greens nor the Liberals had a full slate. They were missing mm. two apiece. And then in the last federal campaign, you remember the Greens only had 252 candidates. Yep. So 
I find this an interesting development. It seemed to be like it used to be a lot easier for these smaller parties to get a full slate, find people to to do this, to run. But lately, it seems like it's been tougher. If you're not a legitimately contending party, getting some people to run in these no-hope ridings seems to be really tough these days. Interesting. It's a small slate. I mean, the, the Greens had more than that last time around. Refresh my memory. Yeah, like I said, right? they had 43. Like, they they were okay. Like, they yeah. were pretty close in one of the ridings. Uh, their leader got in the debate. I don't think that's going to happen this no. time. No, uh, Like, I don't know. I find it interesting that these smaller parties, some of them seem to be collapsing and just their organizational ability to get a, get a slate of candidates running. And I don't know what it means about our politics. Maybe it's becoming more polarized. And so if you can't win, people just go elsewhere. But... Anyway, yeah. I just thought it was a, an interestingly low number because I thought it would be at least a little bit higher than that. My number of the week, uh, I take it, and I'm going to go Quebec-centric here, is 45. 45% approval uh, for uh, uh, Monsieur Legault, for Premier Legault, from PQ supporters. Now, that's interesting. It's the last, mm. l- latest Léger poll from Quebec uh, that showed that the PQ voters, historically since the Monsieur Legault uh, won the election in 2018, uh, PQ voters were ready, satisfied with Monsieur Legault. <laughs> it was interesting to see those, those numbers. So if you take the numbers from August 2022, just one month before the previous election, 73% of PQ voters said they were satisfied with uh, François Legault, which, of course, signaled that, uh, you know, Probably they're gonna go, not gonna vote for him, but they're very satisfied. And that number has dropped almost 30 points in the last year. And why that is? It's because the Parti Québécois is now invigorated. Uh, they they are second place in the polls. Uh, they, we see that the numbers of the sovereignty uh, numbers show that. Uh, the, the PQ has managed to take away some sovereignists from the CAQ back into the PQ fold. And I think this is great news going forward for the Parti Québécois and Paul Saint-Pierre-Plamondon. Um, I'm waiting to see what will be the, the, the numbers uh, this fall because uh, the CAQ has been struggling, I think, in, 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 in media relations in the past weeks uh, with, uh, with healthcare and education. And uh, if there was one party that can really hurt the CAQ, especially in the regions of the Quebec, it is the Parti Québécois. Uh, so looking forward to see whether those PQ numbers keep going down. Satisfaction numbers keep going down for the CAQ leader. And uh, whether they'll... I'm looking to see if there'll be uh, some polls in Jean Talon in the next... Uh, oh, I would love pretty to, curious see to see Although, although you know, writing polls can be very wonky and very, uh, very, very hard to do. But yeah, I would like to see some numbers, local numbers from Jean Talon in Quebec City. The by-election is Monday, October 2nd, I believe. Yes, that's correct. And uh, so I think that'll close it for this episode. Uh, I, I've, I, I'm, I feel pretty good about uh, where things have started. Uh, we had uh, a fun uh, first episode. We had Les Schiff go out last week. We'll have another episode of that one coming out next week. And, uh, you know, we've had people join the Patreon. We've started to have some discussion on the Discord. And I'm, in, I, I'm already enjoying this. So Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. And I, I, I'm curious if you have any thoughts about your early experiences so far with the numbers. 
Well, I, I, I want to say something about the Discord. I've read the messages. I haven't participated much because I was so busy with the convention. But now I'm back in at home in Montreal, back uh, on back to Earth. And I will go back to uh, exchange with our readers and listeners. I think it's, it's a very fun platform. And of course, I would encourage everybody to join it. Uh, if you like this podcast, please uh, uh, become a patron on Patreon. You'll have access to our Discord and uh, you'll be able to ask us questions and suggest topics yeah and you can uh you can argue with philip who seemed to just say that montreal was the center of the universe because it was earth uh, <laughs> well montreal's great great town but well, uh, come on you're starting to sound like you're from toronto i mean toronto so as philip said if you want to get early access to every episode of the numbers <laughs> and participate in our discord where we can chat politics and you can go after philip for his anti-toronto bias <laughs> Uh, you can solicit questions for our weekly mailbag. Become a Patreon at our Patreon site. You can find it at thenumberspod.ca. And if you're already a patron, there's a few of you already, uh, we love you. You're our favorite people in the world. And uh, we'll be back again with another episode next week. Bye, Flip. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.